how is your soul doing? How's your soul doing? Come on. This is a question that we asked ourselves last week. This morning, we're going to jump back into our series called Soul Care. But I felt like this morning, this morning, I've never ever taught on this subject on a Sunday morning service. And I... I just really felt like as I was thinking about a person's soul, that this is a very fundamental teaching that we probably should go back and look at and re-examine and see if perhaps there's some things even in our own understanding of it that we have not had a chance to apply to our lives. Sometimes, how many know we need to go back to fundamentals? I remember the story of Vince Lombardi, the great Green Bay Packer head coach, one of the greatest coaches ever, in a football, and he would always start every season, this first practice, the very first practice, he would bring all of his team together, and he would take a football, he would hold it up, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, these are guys who have been playing football their entire life, but he felt like it was very important to start with just the fundamentals. I, I think sometimes there's something that happens inside of us when we revisit the fundamentals. I was driving my little granddaughter uh, yesterday. We were going to go. Um, she wants to go to McDaniels, and we were going to McDaniels. It's not McDonald's. It's McDaniels. And so we're going to McDaniels to get a little, we'll get a little egg McMuffin or something. And, and, she's, and, I, and I look back, and she's singing A, B, C, D. G-W-X-Y. She's she lost a little bit of that. But I, I'm, I'm sitting there singing with her the fundamentals of the alphabet. She's just, it's, it's so sweet. But people tend to spend a lot of time and money, as we talked about last week, on their soul. Uh, excuse me, on their body. Uh, not on their soul. They spend money on massages and, and hairstyles and clothing and gym memberships and hot tubs and new, new nails. Come on, somebody. And... Uh, Toenails, fingernails, the whole nine yards, and seminars and books, how to, you know, eat better and diet better and all these wonderful things. But we spend little time and effort about the soul. We don't talk about that much, and, and we don't really think about enhancing the soul or protecting the soul. Proverbs tells us in chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart or soul, because out of it flows the issues of life. So what is your soul, and what difference really does it make, and, and what is the difference between your soul and your body? Well, we reviewed last week as well. You can go back and watch it online, but we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in in a body. You are a three-part being. And your soul, which is the uh, personality of yourself, the real part, it's the only difference between you and a dog or you and a cat or you and a horse is that, in fact, you have a soul. God breathed. The word soul means to be breathed upon or to breathe. And God breathed upon you. And, and he, when he did in the garden 6,000 years ago, a, a soul was given to you. And that soul is made up of three parts, your mind, the decisions you make, your will, um, excuse me, the mind, the thoughts you make, the, your will, the decisions you make, and, and your emotions, the feelings that you feel. Those, these are the things that make up your soul. And if you allow the Lord, which is the spirit, the spirit of the Lord, to rule over your life, then he will make sure that your soul is taken care of and your soul is healthy and your soul grows and becomes full of life. And so today, let's just have a little discussion about... One of the biggest steps I believe that you can make to provide for a healthy soul. 
I want to talk about something that was very little talked about in the body of Christ in churches today, and I want to talk about the subject of water baptism. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good, all right? Turn to your other neighbor and tell them you don't know everything. Go ahead. Just go. <laughs> You've been wanting to say that for a while. You have permission to say that. Water baptism. Why do we practice it? What does it mean? Why is it significant? Isn't it just a fresh start? Isn't it just uh, something like, um, you know, something I probably should do just to kind of, you know, turn the page maybe? Or, or it, it, it probably isn't really that big of a deal, right? I mean, I gave my heart to Jesus. I prayed a prayer. I, I'm, I should be good, right? I mean, let's have this kind of conversation. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2, that Peter came out of an upper room having been touched by the Holy Spirit of God, mighty rushing wind falling upon him, filling with him the Holy Spirit. He begins, he preaches a message. He's filled with the power of God. And the people are pricked to their heart. And they cry out to him and they say, brothers, what do we have to, what, what, what do we do? How do we get saved? And he says this, when the people heard they were cut to the heart, said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replies, repent. Everybody say, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. So we see a three-part salvation experience. You repent, asking the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You're water baptized, and then you enter into a relationship where you desire to know and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 6, we call it the foundational truths, verses 1 and 2. Um, it, it, Paul actually is exhorting, or the writer of Hebrews is exhorting uh, the Hebrews. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. In other words, there are some principles that we already know that should be basic things. It's the ABCs of life. It's the, it's the foundation. After leaving these doctrines from Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation. Here's, he lets us know what the foundation of Christianity is. First of all, it's repentance from dead works, exactly what Peter said, and it's faith towards God, and it's a doctrine, he said, of baptisms. And notice it's a pearl, plural word, not just one baptism, it's, it's two baptisms, baptism in water and a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and goes on and talks about the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Water baptism. What is God doing in waters of baptism? I believe what he's doing and what he's done is he is dealing with your soul. Now, when I gave my heart to Jesus at the age of eight years old, we had a wonderful pastor, Pastor Swift, Bob Swift, he came and visited our home, and he sat down, it was in the summertime, with me, and he said, JP, I was told that you received Jesus. You asked Jesus to come into your heart. Is that true? I said, yes, sir. And you asked him to forgive you of all your sins. I said, yes, sir, that's true. He said, well, there's another step. I said, what's that? He says, we need you, we need you to get, be water baptized. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, well, we, we have that little tank up in, you know, our church, remember, you see that thing with a little glass? Yeah. He goes, there's water inside that, and we want, we want to put you under that water, and, and you come back out, and you're baptized. And, uh, and I, I said, okay, well, why? 
He said, well, let's, to let everyone know that you now are a Christian. I said, I don't know if I said this or I thought this, but if I thought it, I probably should have said it. But why can't I just tell them? Why do I have to get wet to let everybody know I'm a Christian? The reality is most people are told the reason we need to get baptized is to be identified with the body of Christ, to let people know that we are now saved and that we're a Christian now. And so I just want to tell you that, that yes, that is true, but it's so small of a truth that there's so much more to being water baptized. And I didn't realize this until I was 18 years old and a friend of mine was talking to me and, and he asked me, JP, have you ever been water baptized? I said, yes, I was eight years old. He said, were you baptized with a circumcision of the heart or for the heart? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, let me tell you, when he got done unpacking what I'm about to unpack for you, I felt like, you know, I didn't, this is a truth I didn't realize. It's more than just being identified with the body of Christ. It's much more than that. And I even got baptized again at that age. I felt like new truth, new revelation, do it again. And, uh, and I'm glad I did. So, so this morning, for this is just a disclaimer. We have some theologians in the house, and you're here, and I'm going to read some scriptures. I'm going to tell you some things, and, and I, you might scratch your head, or you might go, hmm, that's interesting. never thought about that. I challenge you to go back to your word. I challenge you to uh, read the scripture and, uh, and, and research it yourself to make sure that I am true. And um, I have been known to be wrong before. My wife says, I don't know. And... Uh, but I truly believe it's my conviction that what I'm about to share with you is very, very important. So let me give you a few insights about water baptism real quick. Water baptisms, number one, is how I identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Romans 6 verse 4. Gonna have, it's more like a teaching this morning more than preaching. Romans 6 verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him, how? By a baptism into death. That like is Christ we, was, that was raised up from the dead. Galatians 3.27, for all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Isn't that incredible? You know, much of the talk that we have today and we're hearing this word over and over is the word identify. We're having people identify as another gender that, that they were biologically born from. We're having people identify themselves as animals, <laughs> They're identifying whatever they want to identify themselves with. But most importantly, what God is challenging is for you to be identified with Christ. Well, how do you identify yourself with Christ? It's called water baptism. So when somebody asks you, what do you identify yourself as? You say, I'm born again Christian. I love the Lord. been water baptized. You want to join me? Number two. Powers of baptism, um, insights about baptism. Anyone who repents can be baptized. That's all it requires. Peter said, like we just read, repent and be baptized. In other words, ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. And when you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins, you repent. And then after that, the next step is baptism. The third question we ask ourselves is, you know, can anyone be baptized? Well, yeah, if you understand what you're doing, but there is no Bible command to baptize babies. You can't find it in the Scripture. There's no Scripture. Now, we do see Jesus being brought at a young age, 
but he was dedicated unto the Lord, wasn't baptized. He was dedicated, and we do that here. We will dedicate babies to the Lord, but that has nothing to do with their salvation. That's a step that we can only make on our own when we understand what we're doing. Let me give you quickly the powers of water baptism with the three hours I have left this morning. The powers of water baptism. <laughs> I'm kidding if you're all guests, you're like, what? Powers of water baptism. Number one, it's a burial of the old man. It's a burial of the old man. Romans 6, verse 6, knowing thus that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, what's that old man they're talking about? Is that your, your daddy? I mean, what is that? What is, who is this old man? Well, that is your Adam nature. The, we call it the Adamic nature that we were all inherited, that we all were born with. I, my mother calls this story, she tells me that the day that she brought, and she is just a young Christian herself at the time, see, they brought me home as a baby from the hospital. I was in a little bassinet. My great-grandfather, her grandfather, my mother's grandfather, came over and they were standing there and they were just looking at me and uh, just having this precious moment of, you know, the, the new baby arrived of the family and, and, and my great-grandfather says this as he's looking down at me and says to my mother, it's amazing how innocent this little baby is, isn't it? It's just, it looks so innocent, but that little baby right there is just full of sin. And my mother looked at him, and, but the reality was the truth. He goes, you just hold on. That sin's all up in that little baby right there. It just hadn't manifested yet because it hadn't had time. Well, he had a hold of a truth that's real, and the fact is we were all born into sin. It was passed down to us from Adam years and years ago. There's no, you don't have to teach a child how to be bad. You have to teach a child how to be good, right? It's just inherent inside of us. That old man has to be put to death. It has to be buried, and it, so it will never rear its head again. Number two, the power of baptism is it allows us to experience a new birth of resurrection life. Everybody say a new birth. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 11, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, what happens when you have a burial is you have closure. Many of you have had people that you love pass away and we'll have a celebration service or a funeral for that individual. Why are we doing that? For those that are remaining, that those who are still alive can have a sense of closure on this particular relationship, and so they can flip the page and begin to realize that this is a new season moving forward. It's, a, it's gonna look a little different. This is a new chapter in my life, and when you come into the waters of baptism, what you're doing is you're literally having a, a new birth of resurrection life. It brings resurrection, and, when there, and it brings a resurrection of new hope and new, um, uh, new direction and new power into your life. And so it's more than just getting wet. It's more than just being identified with the body of Christ, but it's a, a new birth, if you would, the coming forth of your life. That's why when we have people baptized here, we'll have a little baptism after the of our service today. What do we do? We, t we clap. We rejoice. Why? Because, we, because it's a new birth that's taking place in someone's life that we love and cherish. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation, and old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What we're seeing is we're seeing a, a, a resurrection of a brand new person. That's beautiful. And, and that word creation is an interesting word. It literally means the act of founding or the act of creating or the act of building something up from scratch. Imagine if someone were to say, hey, we're going to build a new hospital here uh, on Foley Beach Express, uh, and there's going to be a groundbreaking ceremony. We would all gather together. We'd be happy about this future event, and there would be gold shovels there, and there would be um, figures from the community there, and officials, and things like that, and, and there would be, uh, you know, um, these photographers there, and there'd be a new sign on the side of the road saying, the future home of a new hospital. Well, what, what that is the same word that we see right here, that when you, uh, when, when, when you come into Christ, you become a new creation, something you hasn't been seen yet that, that's about to come up out of the ground that you, you, you haven't seen you're even yourself, but others are going to begin to see it. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something that's about to take place because what God is about to build in you has never been seen before. It's a new birth. It's an exciting moment. The third thing we see about this and this is something that you probably have not maybe thought of, but we receive a circumcision of the heart. You go, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you a little history lesson to explain myself. So, man fell into sin. The only way for sin to be removed from man's life was for God to send his son the perfect Lamb of God, into the world as a sacrifice because the principle or the um, order that God had already set in place was that sin could not be removed without a shedding of blood. It had to be something that looked like Adam. That's why we refer to even the song as second Adam. Jesus was a second Adam that came and he did everything right the way it was supposed to be and he was slain and from now his blood that, that fell to the earth, now we all have hope and a chance. That's why we take communion to remind ourselves that what Jesus did on the cross, the blood that was shed, now covers me and my mistakes and the things that perhaps I've done. And so God needed somehow, some way to get his son, the Messiah, into the earth. The problem was, by that time, there were not many people, if any, that even believed in one God. Everybody had many gods. But God found this one man called Abraham who believed in only one God. God be, had this relationship with Abraham. It was an amazing relationship. God says to Abraham, I'm calling you out of your people, Genesis 12, and I'm going to separate you unto myself, and through you is going to come a bloodline or a genealogy or a people, and through this people, I'm going to bring my Messiah, and the nations of the world will be blessed as a result of this nation that I'm birthing out of your loins. And so, when God called Abraham, he began to make a covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham called the Abrahamic Covenant. And, what a, and a covenant is different than a contract, because contracts we make with people because we don't trust them. Come on, somebody. I don't trust you, so I'm going to make a contract. Put your name right here. We don't say that to them, but that's the purpose of a contract. But the difference between a contract and a covenant is a 
covenant cannot be broken because of some new set of uh, circumstances that arise. It's when you put your name on that line of a covenant, it's good forever. It's an eternal covenant. That's why marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And when we come together, we say, for better or for worse, richer or for poorer, for, you know, till death do us part. It's an eternal, it's an arrangement, it's an agreement that we're making with this individual that I'm making a covenant with you. And when God makes a covenant with man, that's unlike any other covenant ever known to man because guess what? You got someone on that side who he will never break his end of the bargain. He's a covenant-keeping God. And what it means is that that, that, that it's a personal type of arrangement, an agreement that, 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 that has common goals. And even a part of making a covenant in the Old Testament would involve uh, uh, making vows to one another. That's why we have that in the marriage ceremony. We, uh, exchanging a gift. That's why we exchange rings at a marriage ceremony. And in, even, in those days, it, re, it was involved the shedding of blood where they would literally cut you know, themselves and then they would, they would rub their, their blood on their arm together, and that was a sign that we were now blood brothers in a sense. And, and in fact, it was carried on even so much so in 1860s when David Livingstone, I'll show you a picture, he's a Scottish doctor and a Scottish missionary. He felt God called him to go to Africa in the 1800s, and he went there in 1853, and was the first European to ever go from one side of Africa to the other side of Africa. And he went everywhere he went, he shared Jesus Christ with these people that he came across to in Africa and would help them medically. But the problem is he, he found that not everybody liked him or not everyone wanted to be in relationship with him. And so what he would do is he would, he would talk with them and befriend them and then they would make a covenant and they would, even the African people at that time in the 1850s, they would make a, a covenant and they would, they would cut themselves and rub the. And so David Livingstone had, these cuts all up in his arm. Every tribe he came across, he'd end up, because I want to be your friend. I'm, I'm here to help you. And they, they would make a covenant. So he came across, the story goes, one tribe, and, and it was a, they were angry. They, they were going to kill him. And in the process of getting ready to kill him, he rolled up his sleeves and he showed him. He goes, I just want you to know that I made a covenant with this tribe and that 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 tribe. And so just to let you know, if you kill me, you're also going to have to turn around and fight every single one of these tribes because they're now in covenant with me. And they said, okay, we'll be your friend. Let's make covenant together, Mr. Livingstone. What the point is that when you make a covenant with somebody, especially God, everything that they have now becomes yours. Everything you have now becomes theirs. You have this equal relationship together. And that's why God said to Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. And the sign that God would make with this covenant with Abraham would be this. It says in Genesis 17, then God says to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And the covenant... You are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Circumcised. Oh, my goodness. So this became, this became, this, you never hear about this in church, I promise you. And so this became the sign, the difference between this, these people, these, we'll call them the Hebrew people coming out of the, of, of the lineage of Abraham that was different from everybody in the world because these people had experienced a covenant and a circumcision relationship with God, and they didn't take it lightly. This, this meant that them, these people and God were together. They were one. And so 
Then we see something interesting. We see God coming to Moses after the people now have been in Egypt for 400 some years. They're down there in bondage. They're, they're, they're slaves. And, and Moses, you know the story of Moses, and he's, he's just chased out of Egypt, and he's trying to, he's on the backside of a desert, backside of the wilderness. God comes to him in the burning bush experience, and he says, hey, I want you to go back, and I want you to, to go bring these people out of bondage. And so Moses is like, oh, Okay, and so he's on his journey to go back into Egypt to have a, have a, a showdown with the Pharaoh. <laughs> and in the process, though, before this happened, he had, he had a boy. He had had a baby boy. He'd also married a woman named Zipporah who was a Midianite who wasn't from the Hebrew lineage. And no doubt she had had this conversation. Now, I'm reading into the passage now. But I'll tell you why I believe this when I read this next passage. I, I believe there was some kind of a conversation that she probably had with her husband Moses saying, you know, Moses, you were telling me that you're from a people that, that believe in one God. We Midianites don't believe that, but you've been telling, and, and I'm your wife now, and, and what you told me that usually the difference between you all and everybody else in the world was that the, the males were circumcised. So, you know, you think maybe we should circumcise Junior? Well, we're, the implication is this was not important to Moses. He did not do that. I don't know if it was difference, uh, or I don't know if it was, he was I don't know if it was because he didn't care. I don't, I, I'm led to believe that at this point in Moses' life, he's like, you know what, I'm out of the game anyway. I mean, and for that matter, it's just a matter of time before the entire Hebrew people or the people from Abraham, the Jewish people, are going to be annihilated anyway. It's just a matter of time. It's just happening already. I, I'm out of the game. I, you know what? It's no big deal. I'm out of the picture. And so he doesn't, for whatever reason, circumcise his son. God comes and visits him now in the burning bush, says, I give you a staff, I want you to go and back to, to deliver the people. So Moses is like, whoa, he's energized. He's got this new zeal, new faith, new power. He's like, yeah. And so he's on his way with Zipporah and his, his, his family back to Egypt to bring them out. And then this happens in chapter four. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it, and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. And so the Lord let him alone. This is like, blows your mind, right? Here's a man, he's like, God shows up, speaks to him in the middle of a burning bush. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. I'm giving you a fresh assignment. You're not washed up. I know you're 80 years old, but your best is yet to come. Here we go. And so he's like, yes. And he's marching back into Egypt. And God's like, uh-huh, what? What? No way. And can you imagine Moses? He's sitting there in his recliner in the tent on the way back or whatever. And suddenly he starts like, having shortness of breath and his, his chest gets all tight. And she looks over and his face is turning blue. And he's like. <laughs> and she, was, she doesn't think heart attack. She doesn't say anxiety attack. She doesn't say stress. She doesn't say anything. She, she realizes right off the bat his, his Midianite wife realizes this is a spiritual issue. 
How many knows not every issue in your life is a physical one, it has its roots in the spirit? And it has its roots in the fact that you're probably not aligned properly with what God has asked you to do. It's, is that rain? Oh my goodness, can't be rain. We've never had rain here for a long time. I had, some, I had someone come to the other day and say, we've been here for three months and, they, and, and we just want to know, does it rain here like this all the time? I wanted to say, no, we're having a drought right now. We're, we're, we're praying for more. We, I didn't. But, but anyway, she, so, so he's having this like attack and, and she, she goes, I know what's happening. And she runs and gets Junior she circumcises Junior, takes the foreskin, throws it at Moses' feet. And his life is spared. You think, that's a weird story. Can I just say this? You have a God that means business. And he wants to make sure that your house is in order and that everything is built right and you can't just flippantly go, well, you know, water baptism, circumcision, whatever, you know. You know, it's not that important. No, no. If you want to fulfill the purposes and the plans that God has for you, you need to go back to the foundation stones uh, and you need to make sure that they're right because when you go into the waters of baptism, it's more than just getting wet. It's a sign that you have made a covenant with your God. You made a covenant with your God. And God's like, you know what? You, you may be circumcised, Mr. Moses. You, we might be in covenant, but you have, you have been lazy in your house about your children, and you just let them slide. You don't want to make a big deal about it, whatever. But I'm telling you, if I'm going to be the God of Moses, I'm also going to be the God of your son and your child. And this is very important that we be in covenant. We get this thing right. Uh, and she was reminding Moses, she, the wife, this, this heathenistic wife that had been married into the, the Hebrew bloodline is reminding him, listen, circumcision, she, she says to him, I am a bridegroom of blood to you. In other words, circumcision or covenant is important, Moses. Don't forget, uh, th- this covenant is a very, very important. Uh, I'm a bride, I'm married into a covenant-keeping man with a covenant-keeping God. You can't flippantly say it's not important to our children or my children's children because it's being passed down. We are in covenant and this is the sign of the covenant. So no doubt, every child he ever had after that or grandchildren, first question he probably asked, have you circumcised this boy? Yeah. Now here's the good news. When Jesus came, he established a new covenant. And he goes, listen, we're not doing the circumcision stuff to be a sign that you're in covenant with me. It's going to be a circumcision of the heart. Oh, this is powerful. And I'm, thank, I'm thankful for that. Colossians chapter 2, look at this, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but by the spiritual circumcision of Christ. In the stripping off of the body of the flesh or the sinful carnal nature, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him to a new life. So what Paul does, he comes along and he connects the covenant with water baptism. And when you go into the waters of baptism, what actually is happening by faith is you are having a circumcision, a cutting away of your heart and that old nature, come on, that you were born with is being cut off and God bursts you with a fresh new heart. 
sweetheart, it's much bigger than the fact that you're just identifying with the body of Christ. It's much bigger than the fact you're just getting wet to let everybody know that you know Jesus. There is a circumcision of the heart. There's a cutting away of that old nature and that iniquity that was passed. Can we tell you so, so when you were born, you were born, you were born with iniquity. And as your iniquity grew inside of you, you would begin to make transgressions or you would sin. So when you repent, you're asking God to forgive you of your sins, the things that you've done that were wrong. But, but what about the iniquity that's still inside of you that makes you want to sin? Yeah, the, the sin is I stole the candy bar when I was in the store without paying for it. That's a sin. The iniquity is I want this candy bar and I'm not going to pay for it. Where'd that come from? That came from down from Uncle Aunt so-and-so. We have generational things that just kind of inherently come into us. It's interesting to, to me that some people have an issue with alcohol and this person over here has no issue with alcohol, but they have a lot of issues with gossip. <laughs> Or this person has no problem, I mean, has a big problem with lying. This person over here has a big problem with food. Or whatever, they're, they're, there's different, and, we, and I run into people and they're like, my dad was an alcoholic and I'll never be an alcoholic. I run into them 10 years later and they're an alcoholic. You go into a doctor, what's the first thing they do? They give you a clipboard with all these questions and they have nothing to do with you. They all want to know about your dad, your mom, your grandma, and your grandpa. Yeah, any heart problems, any cancer, any whatever, diabetes, what we win. Why do they want to know all these medical issues going on with grandpa? I'm here because I got a hurt knee. Come on. Why do you want to know about grandpa's diabetes? Because they know in the medical field that what your past ge genealogy experience, more than likely you're going to experience. If, and so, so they want, and it's the same way in the spiritual realm that many times we're dealing with iniquities that, as Exodus says, have been, been passed down to us from the third to fourth generation. And you have to break those iniquities, especially the old nature that was passed down to you from Adam. And you do it when you go into the waters of baptism. You, you cut away that old nature. God does it supernaturally. I don't know how he does it. There's nothing special about the water, I promise you. It's just water. It's the act of faith that you enter in that water going, I believe that I'm going to come out of this water a new man, a new woman with a new nature and God somehow, some way is going to cut away that iniquity from my heart and I'm going to have a circumcision of my heart. That's what we believe. I'll have a worship team come if you wouldn't mind as we get ready to wind this down and have some baptisms and then we'll, we'll leave but we have to understand that it's passed down. I mean, I, I, Abraham was a liar. He had a problem with lying. He was a great guy. But read his story, he lied. He has a son, Isaac. A few years later, Isaac starts lying. And, and as if that's not enough, it was passed down to Jacob and he's a lion. Then you look at Abraham's life, he, had a, he also had an issue with favoritism. He showed favoritism to Isaac. And then Isaac showed favoritism to Jacob. And then Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph. You look at David. David had an issue with lust. He lusted with Bathsheba. Then his son comes along and he rapes a woman. Then Absalom comes along and he sleeps with all sorts of women on the rooftop in David's palace. And then Solomon, 
the other son of David comes along and 700 wives and 300 concubines, that guy was crazy. He'd lost his mind. He needed a whole lot of water baptisms. But that wouldn't work because Jesus hadn't come yet. But, but it was, what I'm telling you is that, there, that, that there's, there's iniquities that hide in the dark and they need to be dealt with. And God knew that. So he provided for us the provision, the grace of water baptism. And I challenge you, I mean, we're going to keep the water. I told Pastor Rick, I said, let's keep the water in here tonight because there may be some more people come back tonight and go, you know what? I think I need to take another dip. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was so important and the, the value of it when I was younger. Let me give you just a brief, really quickly, a benefit of circumcised heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, listen to this, this is powerful. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You wonder how come you, you, you seem like just so harsh sometimes, so, so it's a heart of stone. God's going to put it, give you a, a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees so that you're ca careful to keep my laws. See, baptism is how we receive a new heart as well as entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus said it like this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, water, and the Spirit. Well, I was, I, was, I was sprinkled when I was a little kid. I was three, two. Well, I'm glad you got wet. Frankly, you had no idea what you were doing. So, and secondly, the word baptize is the word baptismo, which means to be immersed. So you might want to rethink that one. And you might want to not be like Moses and just be lazy about it and just be indifferent about it and think, well, it's not that big deal. God knows my heart. No, that's right. He does know your heart. That's why he made a provision for you to have a new one. It's very, very important, water baptism. It creates a kind of heart that allows you to become pliable, to be sensitive to the Lord, to be able to walk in His ways. So this morning, we're just going to let the worship team come on up, guys. And we're just going to let them sing a little bit. And I'm excited about the water baptisms taking place this morning. I, I, we typically would do this earlier. I said, you know what? We're going to talk about water baptism. Why don't we just wait till the end? I want us to rejoice with our brothers and sisters this morning. And, and when they come up out of that watery grave, I want you to stand with me when they come up and rejoice and give the Lord a hoop and a holler. And at the same time, I want to pray with you as well before we have this baptism. Perhaps you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's called repentance. The prayer teams are going to be up here in a few minutes. They're going to be standing here waiting to pray with you. They'd love to pray with you for you to 
to enter into the kingdom of God through repentance, asking Jesus to come into your heart. Then the second step would be tonight, if you want to come back for water baptism, let there be a new cutting away and circumcision of that heart, if you would, so there'd be a death, a burial, and a resurrection as Jesus Christ received into your life as well. So this morning, Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, love on you, to rejoice and just to gather in your presence. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are good to us, you love us, you're kind to us, and you give us a provision, a way for our heart literally to be changed. And so God, today, we just bless you for that, we thank you for that, and we glorify you for that, and we expect, Lord God, to see great things happen in the days and the months to come from the result of the heart change that's taking place within us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.